are ministering what we desire to do, more of a message in that vein. But this morning I wanted to do something different. So Luke 24, and let us hear the word of the Lord. We'll begin reading at verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. They talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? One of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, What things? He said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. And they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. The day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his own holy and errant and infallible word to our hearts this morning. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee. We thank thee for the Lord's day. We thank thee for this day that we can set aside to come and to worship thee. God, but we thank thee most of all for thy darling son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died upon Golgotha's hill there in our place, in our stead. The wrath that was due us came upon thy son. God, with that you are satisfied. Lord, we thank thee that he also has arisen again. He has ascended, and he has been coronated and crowned King, there he sits in heaven 
ruling over all the nations. God, we thank Thee that we serve a risen, exalted, powerful Savior today. Lord, we thank Thee that, Lord, that there are men standing behind pulpits all across this world, whether it be in large churches, small churches, out under trees or in the fields, the love for Christ in their hearts, the desire to lift Him up, to make much of Him. Lord, I pray that You would extend Your kingdom today. God, that You would save precious souls. And Lord, it would be my prayer that even today, Lord, if You would so be pleased, God, we know You delight to save sinners. Lord, if there would be anyone here, young or old, underneath the sound of my voice, that be outside of Christ, that today they would call upon the name of the Lord as we read this morning in Romans 10, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, how we long that you would do such a work today, do a work in our churches, do a work within our sister congregations, bless our ministers, fill them with the Spirit, might today we hear of the news and glad tidings of the cries of newborn babes in Christ. Lord, give anointing to the preaching of thy word. I pray that my preaching and my teaching would not be with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that this church's faith would not stand in the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. Lord, I ask all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Here in this text, we encounter two disciples. These two disciples are headed into the sunset. They have left Jerusalem. They are headed west toward a little village of Emmaus. The sun is beginning to sink in the western sky, but the sinking in the sun is reflected by the sinking of the souls in these two travelers. The light is not only going out in the day, but the light is going out in their hearts. They are disappointed. They are deeply disillusioned and headed back to Emmaus. Where is the kingdom of the Messiah? Here we do not encounter here two of the mighty apostles but two ordinary disciples of Christ. They're just simple villagers from Emmaus. Emmaus was just some obscure place that most people have no idea where it even is today. It was buried somewhere in the hills between Israel and the Mediterranean Sea. But it is to these two that our Savior would give a great deal of his time. Here our Savior has a great interest in two discouraged, disappointed, and ordinary villagers. And our Lord in this uh, passage in which we've read, he would join himself in with these men on their journey. But he appears to them in another form, as Mark points out in Mark 16, 12. 
And because of this, the disciples' eyes were restricted, that they did not recognize him. Jesus would then ask them some questions, and these questions that our Savior asked were met with astonishment. And upon hearing the sorrow of the two, the Savior would, in the seven-mile journey, conduct the greatest small group Bible study that has ever took place in human history. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as the three of them approached the house of Emmaus, they constrained Jesus to join him. The two prepare a meal, and Jesus sits with them to eat. Our Lord then offers thanks. He breaks the bread. He passes it around. And as soon as the bread is broken, and the bread given, the two had their eyes open and they recognized that it was Jesus. But just as soon as they recognized him, he vanished from their sight. The two were then stirred with a holy heartburn. Went back to Jerusalem to be with the other disciples. They had seen the risen Christ. Today you may find yourself here this morning you may feel like these two disciples. You may have come here even on this Father's Day, deeply discouraged, deeply disappointed, and given all up all hope. The Savior will intervene the situations that you are in in your own life. You have decided, maybe even like these disciples, Pack your bags and go home, as it were. You feel that the Savior has no interest in you this day. You may say, I'm no mighty Christian or preacher. Certainly Christ is not interested in ordinary people like me. But this passage before us this morning shows us the Savior is particularly interested in people just like this. He desires to come to the ones whose hands hang down, whose hearts are weary. He desires to come to the broken in heart and to bind up their wounds. He desires to come to the disappointed and disenchanted and remind them that whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, shall not be disappointed. Romans 10 and 11. And I ask you this morning, is this where you find yourself today? Do you find yourself like these men? Your soul is sinking on the inside, deeply discouraged and disillusioned with life. If so, I want to bring the message to you this morning, finding hope on the road of disappointment. Finding hope on the road of disappointment. And I want you to first of all notice with me the disciples' condition on the road of disappointment. Look with me in verse 17 of our passage. The first thing I want you to notice with me about their condition is that they had sad hearts. Verse 17 said, And he said unto them, that is Christ, What manner of communications are these? That you have one with another as you walk and are sad. 
Why are they sad? The Lord is gone. The Lord is no longer there. The one that they had walked with, the one that they had seen, no doubt, before miracles, the one that they had seen raise the dead and give sight to the blind that walked with him in the way is now gone. They have lost all hope of the Messiah whatsoever, and they are now leaving Jerusalem, and they are traveling back to their home in Emmaus. The word here, sad, means here a gloomy or affecting a mournful presence. They were of a sad countenance. And as Jesus is with them, he quickly detected their sadness. Their grief could not be hidden. It was written all across their faces. No doubt you have come across people that are going through a great, great trial in their life. No matter what they do, you can see the sadness all over them. Broken hearted, troubled, discouraged and disappointed about life and the things that are happening. The disappointment of what they thought was supposed to happen turned into a great, into a great grief. They thought to themselves, this is not the way. This is not the way things were supposed to be. Maybe this is where you find yourself today. You come here this morning and you say, Preacher, the way things are going on in my life, this is not the way things are supposed to be. And you have found that on the road of life it has brought great sadness to where you are this morning. And has the sadness become so great that it consumes even your life as it consumed these disciples? They were consumed by sadness and broken hearts. It's written all across your face and everyone sees it. The proverb writer Solomon, <coughs> excuse me, spoke about this. He said that heaviness in the heart has caused you to be weighed down. Proverbs 12, 25. And you have found that this sorrow of heart has crushed your spirit and dried your bones. But the scripture says, but a wounded spirit who can bear or who can survive a broken spirit? Proverbs 18, 24. And maybe you feel that if you were to continue in the state of sadness, it would utterly kill you. I want to remind you this morning that it is Christ alone that is the one that can mend the sad spirit. The original version of the Scottish Psalter says in Psalm 147 and verse 3, this, those that are broken in their heart and grieve it in their minds, he healeth in their painful wounds, he tenderly abides. It is the Lord alone that can turn your mourning into dancing. It is the Lord alone that can cause you to put off sackcloth and cause you to be girded with gladness. Psalm 30 and verse 11. So these disciples, they had a condition of a sad heart, but not only did they have sad hearts, but they had shattered hopes. Look with me in verse 21. But we trusted. 
that it was he, we had trusted that it had been he, which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. This word trusted simply means we were hoping. We were hoping that it was the one that would have redeemed Israel. I wonder if you can hear the disappointment in their words as they're speaking to the Messiah. They don't even know they're speaking to Christ. But they said, we were hoping that this was the one. We had committed everything to him and we were hoping that he was going to be the one to deliver us. Their dreams of the messianic rule were shattered as they beheld the crucifixion of Jesus the Christ. They saw that he was buried in a tomb and they thought that their hopes were buried forever. It appeared that their hopes were eclipsed by the death of the one that they had fixed their trust on. No doubt thoughts began to pass through their minds. Could it be that Jesus was just some imposter? Could it be that they were deceived by one who thought he was the Messiah? So many thoughts racing through their heads and so much disappointment. Like these two disciples, our lives are met with many shattered hopes. Many people are disappointed today in their marriages. They're disappointed with unfulfilled promises from others. They're disappointed with the politics taking place in our own society and culture. They're disappointed with the direction that they see the church at large going in. They're disappointed with their children. Life is filled with shattered hopes. You may have married what you thought would be a great spouse only to see it end in disaster. You have raised children for the Lord only to see them spurn the God you love. You have prayed fervently for various churches only to see them go the direction of the world. It is Christ and Christ alone that can heal the shattered hopes of his people. This is the one. Christ is the one that has begotten you again unto a living hope that can keep that hope a reality in your life. Friends, I want you to understand something this morning. It is not God's desire that you wallow in hopelessness. Romans 15, 13 says this, Now the God of hope, Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. This isn't something that you can cultivate within yourself. This abounding in hope is something that is done by the Spirit of the Lord. These Disciples had sad hearts, shattered hopes. Well, as you see thirdly with me as well, they had blurred vision. In verse 16, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Their eyes were holden, that is, they were restrained that they should not know or recognize him. 
And the question may be asked, well, why did they not recognize the one that they had so loved, the one that they had been with for so long? How could it be that they could not recognize this Jesus? Well, actually, on this particular verse, there is divided opinion about what some men think is happening here. Some believe that Jesus is actually withholding his, the knowledge of him being made known to these men, that God is doing this. But others, such as Albert Barnes, do not agree. They believe that Jesus appeared in another form, as Mark says in Mark 16, 12, and that it is different from his usual appearance. And also we have to understand the condition that these people were in. These men were not expecting to see him. Indeed, they did not even suppose that he was alive. And it required the strongest evidence to convince them that he was really risen from the dead. So really, there is a human and divine element here. There's this human element of unbelief and doubt. And there is this divine element that he appeared to them in another form. And I wonder this morning how many times we have allowed the disappointments and troubles in our own life that we may be even going through this moment to blur our vision. Many times we are so engulfed in the disappointment and discouragement that we cannot even see the Lord right in front of us. There the Lord was, right in front of them, unable to even recognize him. Many times God's people are like blind men. Like the blind man who said, I see men as trees walking. Discouragement and disappointment have a way of blurring our vision and keeping us from seeing clearly. It is only by looking unto Christ that the beam of disappointment and discouragement can be removed from our eye that we may see more clearly. Not only did they have sad hearts, shattered hopes, and blurred vision, the last thing I see regarding their condition is that they had anxious thoughts. In verse 17, And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you walk, that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? It's very interesting, the language in this particular verse. When he says that ye have, the word have has the idea of exchanging one with another. And what we find the two disciples doing here is throwing words back and forth as they're trying to make sense of what had happened with their Jesus. And in their anxiety, they were engaging, as it were, in circular arguments with each other. The same things were being rehashed and tossed back and forth. They were walked into a certain state of mind due to their shattered hopes. They were so discouraged, so disappointed, that they continued to go over the same things again and again and again. And I ask you, how many times have you been overwhelmed by things in your own life, and you just continue to engage in these anxious thoughts? The, the worst possible Result is what we constantly think about. We continue to mull over it again in our minds again and again. 
We continue to throw the same words back and forth with another, and we do not seem to make any progress. You continue in this exchange of words only to find that you're going deeper and deeper into the downward spiral of disappointment and discouragement. You continue in this exchange continually, and you find yourselves always thinking about the worst-case scenario. And you're going deeper and deeper into unbelief and doubt. So you need to be roused from your downward spiral of disappointment and unbelief. And it is only Christ that can cause the sinking of the soul to cease. When you think about those that are in a very dark place in their life. What is it that they need? We're going to see what they need. They need a sight of Christ. That is what these people needed. These, though, had the sad hearts, shattered hopes, blurred vision, anxious thoughts. This is their condition. But I want you to see secondly with me, not only their condition, but their communion. The disciples' communion with Christ on the road of disappointment. These two disciples left Jerusalem discouraged. But Christ came after them. I want you to understand that. There they are. They're fleeing Jerusalem. Their hearts are sinking. They're going back thinking that they will never see Jesus ever again. That as it were, they just wasted their life for whatever amount of time they were following Christ. But Jesus doesn't leave them in that discouraged state. Jesus pursues after them. And just as Christ went after them, He will come after you that are in the same condition today. You who have come here whose hands are hanging down and you feel weak and broken and feeble in your mind and you're deeply discouraged. I want to point you to Christ and let you know that he desires to come to where you are this morning. He is a friend to the broken and will come to you. The first thing I want you to see about their communion is that he became the companion on their way. Look with me in verse 15. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This this language, Jesus himself drawing near and going with them, This word went has actually the idea of journeying with them. Our Savior, as he comes to deal with their disappointment and unbelief, what is so amazing to me is he does not pounce on them immediately to set them straight. That is not what our Lord is doing here in this passage. He comes to where they are. He accompanies them on their journey back to Emmaus. And it is through this means of walking with them for these some seven miles that he will eventually turn them. This is a beautiful picture to us. Here we find Christ drawing nigh and traveling with his discouraged people. Just as he traveled then, he still delights to travel with his discouraged people today. The Lord Jesus that has said to us, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He desires to come to you today, and he desires you to come to him. 
that you might have a rest and have it abundantly in him. Not only did he become a companion in the midst of their discouragement, but he secondly became a listener to their griefs. He became a listener to their griefs in verse 17 through 24. And the Lord deals with their problems by asking them some questions. In verse 17, he says this, What manner of communications are these that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? And then he says unto them in verse 19, What things is it that you are speaking about? And they begin to spell out to him this dilemma in verses 19 through 24 that they find themselves in. And they close with these mournful words. In verse 24, but him they saw not. Jesus is here listening to their disappointments. How patient our Savior is to hear these words knowing that he was preparing to soon cause the sun of righteousness to shine through the clouds of their disappointment and discouragement. My friends, this morning you do well to remember that our Lord is a good listener. He delights to travel with his discouraged people. And what are those things that you are discouraged and disappointed about? Maybe you have shared them with many a person. And you've shared it with them so many times that they get tired of listening. Friend, I want you to know that you can never share your problems with Christ. So many times that he gets tired of listening. He loves to hear your voice. He loves to hear you call out to him in the place of prayer. Oh, others might get tired of hearing about what's going on in your life. But the Lord Jesus never tires. He is always there to hear what you have to say. and To pour out your heart before him. When is the last time? that you poured out your heart to God, asking Him to help you with what you're going through in your life. Oh, it's so easy to pick up the phone today, is it not? It's so easy to pick up our phones and to call this one, to call this one, to email this one. And the last thing we do is to go to the Lord in the place of prayer. Jesus, He became a companion on their way. He became a listener to their griefs. But he also became, third, the expositor of their scriptures. In verse 25 through 27, we read there that he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Christ at this point opens his mouth and says something to shake them out of their disillusionment. He says unto them, you fools, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He gave them a dose of strong medicine to get them to where they needed to be in order to hear his instruction. Rather than using psychology, to address these disciples, he uses the very word of God. He uses facts. The Savior begins his exposition of the scriptures concerning himself. 
And this is what the discouraged, disappointed saint of God needs this morning. You that are downtrodden and broken in heart and spirit, what you need is to hear of Christ. What you need is a sight of Christ. And what a Bible study this must have been. Some have said this is probably the greatest sermon that's never been recorded. He no doubt began, if I take a little bit of liberty here, going all the way back to Genesis 3 and verse 15, that great promise of the crushing of the head of the serpent, saying, I am that seed that would crush the head of the wicked one. I am that promised redeemer. Going all the way to Genesis 22 and speaking about that great sacrifice that took place upon the mountain, saying, I was all that was typified there in Genesis 22. He likely dealt with Isaiah 53 and Daniel 9 and unfolded to them his kingdom and his reign of righteousness. The Lord Jesus went through all the Old Testament expounding unto them the things concerning himself. We need the book of God to address our own problems, our own discouragements. It's the word of God that is alive, that is able to fix what ails our souls. Christ put these disciples' focus on the Son of God. He elevated himself. We need Christ lifted up. When we are discouraged and disappointed, it is while Christ was expounding the scriptures about himself that the disciples' hearts began to burn with great passion and zeal. And this is what we need today. And is it not the case and have you not found it to be that times you have found yourself even seated in this building as a minister exalts Christ and makes much of him and speaks about his work and his atoning blood, that a zeal and love for him begins to flame up within your own heart. This is what happened as they begin to hear about Christ. Not only did he become a companion on their way, a listener to their griefs, an expositor of their scripture, they became a guest in their own house in verse 28 through 30. We read in verse 29 that they constrained him saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. These disciples, these disciples wanted to hear more about the Messiah as seen in their scriptures. Verse 29 uses a very strong word in the original. This word to constrain literally means to employ force contrary to nature, to compel by using force. They were so taken up with the teaching of Christ, they persuaded him as strongly as they could. And what a privilege these two from Emmaus had. These two from a remote village in a place of obscurity are now housing the very Son of God. As the Savior enters into their home, he reclines at the table to eat a meal with them. As then our Savior took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. The presence of Christ came all the way 
to these disciples' home. God was in their house. And you may feel this morning that you live in a place of obscurity. But Jesus delights to come to where you are. Christ today can be present in your home. The presence of God doesn't, you don't leave just the presence of God here. You have the very Holy Spirit that indwells you. And God can be right where you are in your home. Our Lord is with his people in the privacy of their homes. And it's there that you can cry out to him, even there in the midst of your disappointment. The last thing I want us to consider regarding their communion with Christ is this. Not only a companion on their way, a listener to their griefs, an expositor of their scriptures, a guest in their house, but the last thing I want you to see is that he became the fire of their hearts. And after the blessing of the bread and the breaking of it and the passing of it, we read in verse 31 and 32 that their eyes were open and they knew him. Now, the question should be asked, how is it that they recognized him? Look with me in verse 30. It says, it came to pass that as he sat at meat with him, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke, and he gave to them. I want you to look up here for a moment. As Jesus extends his hands to the two, they receive the bread from him. Jesus had the bread in his hands. As they take the bread from the Savior, what do they see? They see the very prince of the nails in his hands. No doubt they began to cry out, it is him. He is alive. Our Savior is yet alive. The prince in his hands cemented the truth that they had heard from the word. Their eyes that were blinded by doubt and disappointment they now see. Just as soon as they recognized him, we read that Jesus vanished out of their sight or he simply became unseen by them. And as soon as this happened, they said, did not our heart burn within us? Well, he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures, these disciples had a holy heartburn. The light of their hearts were ready to go out by the means of all this disappointment and discouragement. But now the fire had been rekindled upon the altar of their heart. They learned that this discouragement and disappointment and unbelief causes the fire of God to go out in the hearts of his people. But when they heard the preaching of Christ and where he is seen in the Old Testament, they saw the very prince in his hands. Their hearts became a bonfire of affection for God. A glimpse of Christ in his work upon the cross revives the disappointed and discouraged. So dear soul, if you're troubled, go to the word of Christ. Go to the cross. Look upon Christ. Get your eyes upon him. This will keep the fire of God burning in your heart. So in conclusion, these two disciples 
with their hearts now aflame, return back to the place they abandoned in disappointment. They're on their way back to Jerusalem. Having seen the risen Christ, we read about that in verse 33. It said they rose up that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. And as they're traveling back, it's not just the two on the road. For Jesus is there. There's three of them. Jesus is simply unseen. Jesus simply was unseen, but he is never absent. Jesus may be unseen to you, but know that he is never absent. He is the omnipresent Christ. You cannot escape his presence. The presence of Christ was in their hearts. As they arrive and they begin to discuss what happened, our Lord arrives visibly to that company they're gathered. And Christ goes on this long journey after these two discouraged travelers so that they will be at this glorious appearing, this glorious meeting where he will appear before many of his disciples. We read in verse 36, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. God brought further peace to the hearts of these two discouraged disciples. So I end by asking you this question. Are you weighed down by disappointments and discouragements this day? I want you to remember that Jesus delights to come to his weary pilgrims and to comfort them. He desires to come and to pick you up. I want you to know that you can leave this place this morning with the fire of God burning in your soul again. For that is what these disciples experienced. When they heard about Christ, their hearts burned within them. My friend, if there's something we need desperately today, we need men and women whose hearts burn for God. They're like D.L. Moody said, out and out for God. A heart that is zealous in love for Christ. These men, as they heard of Christ, their hearts were consumed with love for him. And it is Christ alone. I can't rekindle that fire in your heart. Your pastor can't rekindle that fire in your heart. It is Christ and Christ alone that can rekindle the fire in the hearts of men. And just one glimpse of Christ will cause the heart to glow again. These two found the real hope on the road of disappointment. And you too today can find hope by looking to Christ. So I encourage you, saints of God, look to him, and you will find the hope that your soul so desperately needs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord this morning. I thank you for the scriptures. God, I thank thee for thy word. God, your word is precious. God, your word is powerful and quick and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I don't know where everyone finds themselves here this morning. God, there may be people here on the mountaintop experiencing the greatest moments of their life. 
But God, there could equally be people here in the deepest, lowest valley that don't know how they're going to make it another day. Feel like these disciples, so broken, hope shattered. I pray, Lord, that you would show them that Jesus delights to come to where they are. They would just lift up their voice like Peter did as he began to seek and say, Lord, save me. That immediately the Lord would reach down his sovereign arm, pull them up out of the pit of despondency that they find themselves in this morning. God, might they find Jesus to be the help to their soul today. So, Lord, we do pray that you would be with us throughout the remainder of our afternoon. We pray that you would bless even our times of fellowship and that you be with us until we meet again this evening. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and ever. Amen.